0: Amen. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I don't get to do this often, so this is fun. Normally, I am in Avon Lake and she like awkwardly introduces me and gets to make fun of me before I preach, but I'm not going to make fun of her because she is my mother, but I'm going to ask you to do something. Stand to your feet with me and make Pastor Mary feel very welcome here in Cleveland as she comes to bring the word. Woo-hoo! He played that smart because I have the microphone now. And I have stories. <laughs> Dominic was a fun child. He helped create the term helicopter mom because I had to keep him alive, right? That's why I was so like, Dominic, what are you doing? Dominic, what are you doing? Like literally, this boy jumped off buildings. Literally. Anyways. No, that was when I was a youth pastor, you jumped off the youth building and he took kids with him. Like flipped, like did parkour flipped off the, yeah. So anyways, how is everybody tonight? It's so good to be here. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. I do this often, but it's just not like easy for me. So I was just struggling the whole day and I don't know why. Probably because this word is just really been transformative in my life And I get to do it again, and so Jesus just did it all over again in me, and I needed it. And so I um, am just blessed and honored to be here with you guys. Let me get my notes together, um, and then we'll pray and get started. I love how the Holy Spirit just confirms, you know, with that last song and what Dominic shared. Just what he wants to say to us, isn't that the most important thing? Because how could I have something to say to you? But if the Holy Spirit is here, you know, he can take whatever is said and speak straight to our heart. Because that's what the word is, right? In Hebrews 4.12, the word of God you see is alive and moving. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it pierces the divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the will of the heart. So Father, I just thank you tonight that your word is so holy and it's so true. God, and I pray that this word tonight would touch hearts as it's touched mine, would cause us to mature in our faith and our love for you, Lord God, so that we can be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. Mature in love, taking your kingdom bringing your kingdom here on earth. And we thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, let's get started. Um, So this past couple years, Adrian and I, but me really first, we started just leaning into um, our purpose and our goals. So how many know that when you change your season of life, right, your identity kind of shifts and you can feel that and you're like, okay, wait a minute, now who am I? what am I doing? Where am I going? (laughs) What am I supposed to do? And that's just natural, right? It's normal. And what happens is, is sometimes you get kind of shaken and you've got to go back to the word. You've got to go back to your father and get clarity about who he's called you to be. And what he's called you to do. And so I've just been in that season, probably the last two years, but even more so this past year. Working with a coach, a leadership coach, and just really trying to define, you know, what God's call of my life was. And so this was really kind of like the seal on all of the work that I've done. And it's the thing that I keep coming back to. Um, Because, you know, you, you, you have these expectations for purpose. And you have these um, goals for your life, right? But if you're not careful, what happens? You start leaning into greatness, right? Am I just talking about myself because I'm being really vulnerable here? I start learning, leaning into Mary needs to be great. Mary needs to accomplish something. Mary needs to be significant. And I know that a lot of us deal with that. If we don't feel like we're accomplishing the things that we think we're supposed to accomplish, because it's our purpose, right? We start getting uncomfortable and uneasy and unsatisfied. And what God has showed me is that my desire to be great needs to be his desire for me and not my desire. And you'll see on the the screens, you see that little arrow up and to the right, right? Because we've been taught that greatness looks like that. Up and to the right, I'm improving, right? I'm successful, I look awesome. Whatever it is, whatever's in your, in your wheelhouse, right? Whatever it is that you think God's called you to do, greatness is the goal. But Jesus shows us a different kind of greatness. Greatness in God's kingdom looks completely different. And so this word might cut a little bit, but I believe what it's going to do is it's going to free you. It's going to free me again to realize all I have to do is be like Jesus. That's all I have to do. And obviously it's not easy, but I have a goal. I have instructions, right? In this word. And I know what to shoot for because of it. So our desire to great, greatness. Greatness and power are indeed a God-given attribute of our creation. Do you remember the scripture verse in Genesis 126? And we're not going to read it, but it says, Have dominion. He created us. He said, Have dominion. Rule. Have power over the earth. That was given to us. From the moment of our creation, we are supposed to have power and dominion. But what happened? Immediately, they messed up. Sin came into their life, and now that power and that dominion was perverted, right? It was gross. It looks ugly. It looks self-centered. It looks like pride. It looks like everything that God never intended it to be. But Jesus came, and he showed us how to regain that power and dominion and how to walk in greatness the way he walked in greatness. See, it's hard to hear the call or the direction of God if the cry for greatness from our flesh isn't silenced. It's hard to understand what God's called us to do. And it's hard to be obedient in what God's called us to do if there's a flesh desire for greatness because we get in the way. And then we're pursuing things that he's never asked us to pursue We're putting our effort, our time, our energy into things that doesn't matter to him, right? We're building what? Our kingdom instead of his kingdom. So my greatness, your greatness, needs to look like Jesus. Our greatness needs to look like his kingdom. Jesus is the one who shows us what to do with the desire to be great, and he shows us by example. So we're going to look at how Jesus displayed greatness tonight. The first thing we're going to look at is that Jesus was humble. He was humble. Humility is the state or quality of being humble. You know, I've heard somebody say that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? It's not... It's not self-sabotaging. It's not putting yourself down. It's not walking in a room with your head down, right? It's just not thinking of yourself when you walk in the room. (laughs) It's a virtue that centers on low self-preoccupation. And this is harder than it sounds. We all want to think we're humble, but let's ask ourselves some tough questions, okay? So when I walk in the room, who am I thinking about? How I look, how I'm perceived, who's looking at me, what my hair looks like, right? What does that person think about me? Or am I walking in a room and having something to give? Am I carrying a gift for the person that I see? Delight, concern, or maybe I'm just happy to see them. Do we want others to see us? Do we need their admiration? Or do we want position, power, and status? Do we walk in a room and and want everybody to go, oh, well, she's here, or he's here. Everybody watch out. How many remember the camp meeting days? I know some of you guys came to Luring campus. You were were in the camp meeting days. How many remember the front row fiasco, is what I call it? It's not one of the proudest moments in ministry, is it? (laughs) Where we had assigned seats and they would line up and we would walk them out and they would sit in their assigned seat. You know, it's just like, ugh. Now we can't get people to sit in the front row. (laughs) Right? We're like, please sit in the front row, Please. The disciples also wanted to know how to be great, right? And they asked Jesus in Matthew 18. They said, in the kingdom of heaven, who is the greatest? And what did Jesus do? I don't think I see any little kids. He called a little one up right next to him, and he patted his head. He said, you want to be great, right? He put his hand on top of the child's head. He said, this is the truth. Unless you change and become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. In that kingdom, the most humble, who are the most like this child, they are the greatest. What? They're the greatest. And whoever welcomes a child or welcomes her in my name, welcomes me. See, Jesus is absolutely clear here absolutely clear the most humble who are like a child are the greatest so how do we become humble like a child there's three things really quick before we go on to the next point the first thing we need to do is embrace limits at the women's conference we talked about this because girls we have a problem with limits right (laughs) we think we can do everything and honestly we think we should but guess what Limits are good for us. Why? Because when we don't have limits, we lose God's purpose in our life. Men, you need limits too. And our kids definitely need limits these days. I think our, this kid's generation is the busiest generation I've ever seen on the face of this planet. Like, they have so many things that they're involved in, so many sports activities, so many clubs, so many everything. I'm like, can they just play once in a while? Right? God's vision for your life is important. For visionaries, limits sounds like a cuss word. Right? For visionaries, because they have God's vision, and they want to do this, and they want to do that, and they want to do this, and I'm speaking from experience. Because just yesterday, I was going to start a business making dog biscuits, and I'm going to start a business making granola, and I'm going to refinish furniture, right? This is just how I am, and I try to do it, and I always mess up. But people with vision have a problem with limits, but limits help you focus on God's vision for your life. Limits are the road markers on God's path for your life. Have you ever seen those little orange sticks? I mean, come on, it's Ohio. We know what those orange sticks are, right, in the end of your driveway. They're the thing that keeps you on the driveway so that when you pull in and there's snow in the ground, there's not the big ruts in the mud, right, after the snow goes away. That's what limits are in our life. We have to have them because we have to stay on track to what God's purposed for our life. When we are able to say no to the wrong things, we have the ability to say yes to the right things. And this sounds easy, but it's hard. It's really hard to do in a culture that says you can do everything. Limits are tricky because it's something that you just can't do automatically. So I've been trying to do this minimalism thing, and I'm not perfect at it, but I've started. And it's the same thing for limits. You know, a couple months ago, I just started. I'm going to give away five things from my house every day. And I would just put it in a bag, take it to Goodwill on the way to work, and that's, I would, it would be out of my house, right? And now my house is actually, after about three months, it's actually kind of empty. You open a cupboard, and it's not falling on top of me. (laughs) But it was hard. It took some time. Same thing with limits. We have to very carefully decide what is supposed to be in my life and what is not supposed to be in my life. So I'm going to encourage you to find your limits and embrace them so that you can become humble like a child. Number two, trust God's character. I loved that, what you shared when we were singing, Great Are You, Lord? Because we're not great. God is. And we can trust him. Instead of being in control all the time, trust God to take care of us. Trust him to make decisions for us, right? Maybe he wants you to take, maybe he wants to take you into a new field of work. Maybe that's why you're not getting that job. Maybe he wants to give you another child. Giving up control shows that you trust him. You trust him. God, you are good and I trust you. You know, we've had really weird opportunities with Adrian's jobs. You know, he's a nurse by trade. And one job, he's got like this really cool thing happening overseas, making a ton of money. And then the next couple years, we just don't know what happened. He's working at a nursing home and he hates it. You know, so it's like, we don't know what's happening. But we know that if we trust God, it doesn't matter where he's at. God is teaching him. He's leading him. He's guiding him. He's taking him on a path to eventually do exactly what he's called him to do. We trust him. He always has his best in mind for us. Even when it doesn't line up with what we think is best. Because like you said, his ways are always higher than our ways. Always. Number three, humility requires obedience. and We obey like Jesus. Jesus said that he didn't do anything or say anything unless he heard the Father first. And we start with the little things, right? If he, if he tells you to do something, do it. Don't ask why. Just do it. Don't doesn't matter if you look stupid. Just do it, right? Has he ever asked you to do something and you knew you were going to look stupid? Right, you know? You know, well, well, it's okay. We have to obey sometimes and it doesn't matter. We can't ask why. Parents say, because I said so. Let God say that to us. Just because you said so, I'm going to obey. We develop this kind of relationship. If he says it, I listen and I don't have to know why. Isn't that powerful? That is humility. Interesting that these three qualities are very childlike, isn't it? Because as children, we can't do things adults can do. We have limits, right? Remember, you couldn't drive until you were 16. Sorry, that was your limit. You were not allowed to get in a car. (laughs) There were limits for children. The second thing, they're not in control of their lives. Instead, they have to trust their parents. How many kids go grocery shopping every Friday? But they eat, right? Because they trust their parents to take care of them. (laughs) And we definitely have to obey without knowing why. I'm sure you guys can remember the many times that I screamed and yelled and said, just listen to me. (laughs) Humility is greatness in the kingdom of God. Another aspect of greatness that Jesus exemplified so well is sacrifice. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. I don't think I really need to spend that much time on convincing you that we live in a culture of consumption, right? How much can we get? What do I need? You know, what's the next big thing? Everything for me, me, me. I feel like sometimes I feel like all we do is work, and then drive around and buy stuff. Right? You go to Costco. You go to Home Goods. You go to Home Depot again. You go home, and then you go to work. And then you get your check, and then you go to Costco. And you go to Home Depot. And you go to Home Goods. I mean, like, ugh. I feel like we're like in this maze, right? It's this culture of consumption. And sadly, the church isn't much different. We get in this mindset of like, what do I need? What do I want? What is going to meet my need, right? Not our church, of course. But the idea of sacrifice is pretty foreign to us. Sacrifice is the idea of giving up something we value, for something else that we regard as worthy or important. Time, money, and energy. That's really all we have. These are our commodities. So we ask ourselves, what do we value and what do we make sacrifices for? You know it's hard to get people to serve in church and specifically for for kids' church, right, Layla? <laughs> And I remember when we had our camp meeting days, see, it's just on my mind. We used to have a nursery with 60 babies, six zero. And they were all under two. Yeah. So you could imagine how many volunteers we needed for one nursery service. That's 12 adults. It was a nightmare. And I was the nursery director. I was pregnant with Dion at this time. I was the nursery director, and I would cry to my dad like every week. I don't have enough help. I can't do this. I need you to give me some volunteers. <laughs> so he would, he would beg people. We need help. We need help. We have so many kids in there. We need help. And, and, you know, not many people would sign up. And he would say, why don't you just carry around a piece of lead in your pocket? Anybody heard this one before? If you carry around a piece of lead in your pocket, and when I ask for volunteers for the nursery, you just put your hand in your pocket, and when you say you don't feel lead to work in the nursery, you put your hand in there, and all of a sudden, you feel lead. It's like an old church joke. I had to pull that one out. (laughs) But do we value a young mom's ability to hear the word enough to make the sacrifice? Right? How important is it? Oh, I knew that was going to happen. That's okay. I'm good. But sacrifice is more than signing up to serve. Sometimes sacrifice looks like forgiving and loving a family member who's nasty to us. Right? We exchange our pride for our relationship. We sacrifice our pride to let them off the hook to save because we value our relationship. It's making others more important than ourselves, giving our time, money, and energy to those God has assigned us to. There's this idea in our present-day theology that sounds something like this, Jesus made the sacrifice, so I don't have to. That's not true. He actually made the sacrifice to show us how. In Matthew 16, 24 through 26, and Jesus was talking to his disciples, the ones that were learning from him. He said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself the things you think you want. And you must pick up your cross and follow me. The person who wants to save his life must lose it and she who loses her life for me will find it. Look, does it make sense to truly become successful, but then hand over your very soul? What is your soul really worth? He was explaining, listen, there is value that we as disciples have to be able to recognize, and we have to be able to pick up our cross and head that way, right? And lay it all down for the things that are truly, truly important. Sacrifice in our life simply looks like dying to self. And I wrote all day, every day. (laughs) At home, at work, at church. It's stopping what I'm doing and ironing Adrian's shirts. And I hate ironing shirts. You get all sweaty and it's gross and you're standing there and it's ugh. Who likes ironing? Right? This new job of his, he has to have an ironed shirt every day. I'm like, let's bring the scrubs back. Come on. <laughs> Just take it out of the dryer and shake it. Sacrifice looks like going home and making dinner instead of stopping at Costco. Right? Sacrifice looks like going to Cabela's and looking at guy stuff. To show him that I love him. These are cute examples, but we all have real sacrifices that we are called to make for others. Jesus calls us to pick pick up our cross. Sure, it's difficult, but it is the way to greatness in God's kingdom. And Jesus proved this. His darkest day became our greatest. His sacrifice became our salvation. Greatness in God's kingdom looks like sacrifice. And Jesus proved it, and then he called us to do it. The best example of greatness is service. Jesus called us and was the example of the greatest servant ever on the face of the earth. Matthew 20, 26, Jesus said, This is the kingdom logic. Whoever wants to become great must first make himself a servant. Think about that. If I struggle with wanting to be great, it's very clear what I have to do, <laughs> right? There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's so easy to read it, but it's so hard to live it. It says, I have to make myself a servant. Whoever wants to be first must bind himself as a slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we are called to serve Jesus, we must be willing to serve the one in front of us. Right? It's the one right in front of us. Right now, I feel like Jesus is giving you somebody in your mind. Write it down. Who are you to serve? What name did Holy Spirit drop into your heart? Was it your husband? Was it your children? Was it your neighbor? Someone right in front of you that he wants you to start by laying down your life and lovingly serving them. Jesus gave us a very clear distinction between those who serve and those who don't. And this is a hard scripture verse, but you're here on a midweek, so you want the truth, right? (laughs) In Matthew 25, 31 through 40, Jesus was telling them, and he said, When the Son of Man comes in all his majesty, and we know that's happening soon, we can see it. We, can, we know his, he's coming in all his majesty very soon, accompanied by throngs of heavenly messengers. His throne will be wondrous, and all the nations will assemble before him, and he will judge them, distinguishing them from one another as a shepherd isolates the sheep from the goats. And he will put some, the sheep, at his right hand, and some, the goats, at his left hand. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come here, you beloved, you people whom my father has blessed. Claim your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of creation. You shall be richly rewarded. And why? He was so clear at how they had served. He said, when, you were, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was alone as a stranger, and you welcomed me into your homes and into your lives. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you tended to my needs. I was in prison, and you comforted me. And I think sometimes we look at that, and we get really nervous. We're like, oh my gosh, I got to get busy. I got to do this, and this, and this. Remember limits be obedient. Don't stress, right? Just serve the one in front of you. And he'll put somebody in front of you, trust me. But even then, the righteous will not have achieved perfect understanding and will not recall these things. They say, Master, when did we find you hungry and give you food? When did we find you thirsty and slake your thirst? When did we find you a stranger and welcome you in or find you naked and clothe you? When did we find you sick and nurse you to health? When did we visit you when you were in prison? And the king will say, I'll tell you this. Whenever you saw a brother or a sister, hungry or cold, whatever you did to the least of these, so you did to me. He came to seek and save the lost, Us, and we must, too, seek out those that need us to serve them, that need us to grab them, pick them up, and look in their face and say, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. He has already died for you, and he's rescued you. Our goals, ambitions, and dreams, apart from this, don't qualify in the kingdom. They don't. Jesus was clear. I want to be on his right side. Do you want to be on his right side? No need for my idea of up and to the right, right? I want to be right on his right side. That's what greatness is. Greatness is serving the atheist, the broken, the hurting, the annoying, and the needy. We all have needy people in our life, right? the ones that we just helped last week, and they text you today. You're like, seriously? And everything in us want to go, if I keep helping you, I'm never going to be great. Can you just get it together? But when the Son of Man comes in all his majesty. Right? Ephesians 5.16, and I'm going to close with the scripture verse. Make the most of every living And breathing moment because these are evil times. It's a short little verse, but this scripture verse reminds me of a movie that most of us have probably seen Schindler's List. Have you seen that movie? It's a story of a man, for those that haven't, who basically paid for the rescue of the Jews during the Holocaust. And I think the number was about 1,100 that he actually saved from being killed. And in the end of the movie, there's a scene where he's walking out of somewhere, I don't know, and they're all around in like this parking lot, and his car's there. And they're presenting him a thank you for saving their life. And he has this realization that his car was worth 10 people. And his pin on his shirt was worth another two people. And he started realizing that I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have saved ten more people. And they tried to reassure him. They said, no, you did so many. Generations are going to be here because of what you've done. And he goes, no, 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 no. I could have if I just made more money, if I just sold my car, I could have done more. Will we, as Christians, as children of the Lord, meet him face to face one day in all his majesty and realize, I could have done more. I could have served. I could have sacrificed. I could have walked in humility and bent on my knees to serve the ones that needed me. This is greatness in God's kingdom, and this is what He's called us to do. And I needed this reminder again. I preached this message first in October, then again in December, and this week I'm struggling. I'm like, why am I not great yet? <laughs> right? But God's saying, You are great. You're great when you serve me. You're great when you obey me. You're great when you just do the things that I've called you to do and love the person in front of you. Amen? So humility, sacrifice, and service was his example to us. And when we, know, when we notice that feeling of greatness and I know it's not a word, but in my life it's a word, <laughs> that greatness-ism that creeps in. It says, Mary, you're 50. What have you done? Right? You have to remind yourself that Jesus is my example of greatness. And if I could just look like him a little bit more today than I did yesterday, I know he's proud of me. Amen? Would you stand up with me? God, earlier in the service, we declared how great you were. And we mean it with all of our hearts. We trust you. You're a good father. You're a great father. And tonight, every single one of us lay our hearts down before you. And we say thank you for your example of greatness. Thank you, Jesus, that we can model our lives after your, your life. And we can be humble like a child. We could sacrifice our life daily, dying to ourselves, picking up our cross and following you. And we could serve the one that you put in our path today. And I thank you, Jesus, that you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I also want to say that there may be some of us here that this is a freedom message. (laughs) This is a freedom message because you have nothing else to prove. You don't have to meet the world's expectation. All you have to do is look at your father and obey and rest in his love. No more striving, no more working really hard to look for successful. None of that matters because you've been freed. You've been freed from what the world calls great. And your heavenly father is saying, come and stand by my right side. As we worship tonight, I just want you to invite you to just take a moment with the Lord tonight. And if you need prayer, come up and pray with one of our altar ministries. But just don't let this moment pass by without allowing Jesus to minister to you.